So how many times have you said, I'll do it when I feel like it? A lot. I'll get to it when I want to. I'll get to it when I feel like it. I think we, a lot of us do this with God's love and uh, because for the things that we say this for are the things we don't want to do. And uh, if we sit around waiting to feel like loving like God does or has commanded us to, and remember, this is God's love is exhibited at the cross. This is the ultimate in sacrifice and in giving for the benefit of others, laying down our lives and without limits, you know, reasonably, of course, that um, you know, if we sit around waiting until we feel like it, we won't ever do it. The Bible commands us to do it. Don't wait until you feel like loving with God's love. Do it now. The longer you wait, the longer you wait. (laughs) So C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity writes this. Don't waste, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. And with his usual clarity, he's simple and he's right. And if we say, I don't feel like it, so what? Do it anyway. Uh, we are to give and we must. So don't wait until you feel like doing it. With, with God's love, do it now. All right, so we're going to start in uh, Mark. Yeah, Mark chapter 2. And it's kind of a, a continuation of yesterday's class. And we're going to finish up this part in the gospel where Jesus is really talking about Uh, He's not mentioning love, but the application is of love. So let's open in prayer. Let's thank him, thank our Lord, our Father, for the opportunity to be together and hear his word, for the the insight and wonderful relationship with God that we have through his word. And be thankful for the spirit within us that makes it come alive. And so with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for our time here. Thank you for the opportunity, as we always say, Father, that we have a a time set aside in which we can hear your word, read your word, and be in communication with you. As that great psalm, Psalm 119, depicts the love of your word, the respect of your word, and as you say, it is the fear of you that is the beginning of knowledge. So therefore, in awe of you, in respect of you, Father, we sit before your word and we long for instruction. So we ask, Father, that through your spirit, that our hearts would come to see more of what your love is and see the need for us to walk in that love and to perform it towards one another. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, So this... um, The part of the gospel here that we're looking at in Mark 12 ties 
the uh, love of God is really a gift of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is more than the Jewish ritual of not doing any work on a Saturday. It's far more than that, though it includes that. And so coming from uh, love comes this Sabbath given to man. And this Sabbath is uh, rest. We can look at it that way. But more so, it's being in the presence of God, which would be a place of rest. You know, if you're in the presence of God and you're not righteous, if you're in the presence of God and you're about to be judged for your sins, that is not a place of rest. That's a place of great fear. But if knowing that you, you know, you have been made to be there, you have been made um, new through Christ, the price that he paid, the blood of Christ is for you, and through the love of God he gave his son, And so you and I have this absolute privilege and right uh, by justification, as uh, John talks a a bit about in 1 John, which speaks of God's love for all of chapter 4, is uh, propitiation, that the Father is satisfied. Satisfied means there's nothing left for me to do, and that I can be in his presence forever, and I am. And so, but I'm not face to face with him, and I live in a world that is, I'm surrounded by restless people. We're to be at rest, and we as believers struggle with that at times. And I'm surrounded by people who are restless. Uh, James, in his book, calls the tongue a restless evil. And the reason why the tongue is a restless evil is because the mind of people is restless. And why is that? Because it's man who does not know the love of God and therefore is not at rest or at peace. Like as Keith and I were talking about before class, the love of money. Like there's this whole bunch of people on this planet, generation after generation, are always in the pursuit of money. And even if they get it, they're not at rest. So God's love gave mankind the Sabbath. And what is the Sabbath to us? It's the presence of God. Because to us, it's, it's not Saturday. It's all the time. It's part of our, our lives. So in our example here, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is breaking not the law, but the traditions He's breaking the traditions of the Pharisees. And they're mighty angry about this. So angry, in fact, that they plot to put him to death. Which is a marvelous irony that Jesus points out. We'll get to that. And this is an example where you love your tradition. And I use the word principle because, you know, the Sabbath, and there's, there's, a number of things in the Bible that people do that are that are there, but they're they're no longer necessary, I should say, or you know they're they're no longer um, actually not any longer, but there's there's principles that are immovable, and there are principles that are flexible. Um, 
And, you know, we have to discern what those are. And we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more coming up. But um, So uh, the principles that are universal are the ones that are unbreakable. In other words, if you don't follow this principle, you're going to sin. Take, for instance, like, you know, uh, be hospitable. Let's say a criminal shows up at your door. And if you let him in, he's, your family's in danger. No, you're told, you're commanded to be hospitable to strangers. Should you let him in? No, don't be an idiot. Right? So there's, there's, we have to be wise. But things like be humble, love, uh, be gracious, these are unmovable principles that we must always be. <clears throat> now, some of my principles, or yours, are cultural. And, you know, they're, in another culture, they don't apply. So, for instance, say you're in the Middle East, and, you know, women wear veils. And because if they're out in public or a woman is before a stranger, she wears a veil. Say she's a Christian woman, and you say, take that stupid thing off. But it's a part of her culture. Should we tell her to take it off? You know, and, and so when, you, when you're in a different culture, you're in a different time, like some rituals of the Mosaic Law no longer apply to us. Um, but let's say a Messianic Jew wants to celebrate the Seder. He wants to celebrate the Passover meal. Is there anything wrong with that? Some, pe- some Christians think there's something wrong with that. I, I personally don't. As long as you, you, know, you don't think it's like Christ hasn't come yet. But these are Christians. Like Arnold Frutenbaum is my, uh, he's a great theologian. But he's a Messianic Jew and does celebrate a lot of Jewish rituals. Because, and he's, he's very unapologetic about it. And it's because he is Jewish and he loves his Jewish culture. In fact, you can go to a summer camp and learn how to dance the Jewish dances. And he says, everybody's afraid to do it until we get them to do it. And then all these people that are non-Jewish who go to these camps. His camp is in uh, upstate New York somewhere. It gets packed, loaded, loads of people all summer long. And they love this. It's these Jewish dances that they do. Anyway. So uh, when it comes to that, so here we here we have Mark two twenty three. It happened that as he was passing, and it happened, sorry, that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, "Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath?" Now this is completely lawful to do. There's nothing wrong with plucking heads of grain. There is a law against gathering grain on another person's property with like a bucket. In other words, you're harvesting. But if you wanted to pluck a head, what they do, they rub it in their hands, get the grain out and eat it. Nothing wrong with that. But the Pharisees, of course, as we know, had made up extra rules for the Sabbath. And Jesus per usual, doesn't address their immediate question. And he says in verse 25, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? 
how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, was it not lawful for anyone to eat, sorry, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest? And he also gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, or also of the Sabbath. So now the Lord's point about David eating the bread is not about whether rituals are valid or not, or whether you know, the temple rituals should be continuing in either in their age or in our age. It's not about ritual. It's about love that fulfills the law. Right? So this is stated, stated by the Lord and, and by the law itself, that the love of God and the love of your neighbor is the fulfillment of the law. And in the case of Jesus' disciples, they're hungry, but the Pharisees don't care. And Jesus points to David, who was also hungry at, the, at that time. That's in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And, you know, they don't care about that. They don't care about people. And that gets to the point. That's why I came to this. Is that in terms of ritual and tradition, that's more important to them than our people. But this also ties to the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is the privilege of enjoying the presence of God in this world. And and the reason why I define it that way, and we also must state here that it's not doing nothing. Adam and the woman had to cultivate the garden, protect, guard, as the Hebrew word kind of intimates, that they protected the garden. And they had plenty to do. um, And again, I I think of the example of what I, you know, you see it in movies a lot where the thief, where like movies about people are going to steal a bunch of money or, you know, criminals are going to get a bunch of money. So what? So they can go to a beach somewhere and do nothing. Like that's always the end goal. We're going to sit on a beach and do nothing for the rest of our lives. We're going to retire. And, you know, like seriously, I guess it sounds good on paper, but what are you going to do? Um after the first week, maybe. I don't know. Aren't you going to get bored? Is there something you're going to need something to do? And so, uh, you know, heaven is not doing nothing, and that's what Sabbath really turns out to be. Because Sabbath is the where it's first stated is in Genesis two three. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. And it's not only God who's resting here, but it's Adam and Eve who are resting. But what is rest in this situation? You're in the presence of God and you're in His righteous world. They deserve to be there. They're made perfect by God. They're made to be with each other. She is taken from His rib. She's His Ish. She's Isha to Him who is Ish. That's their names. He identifies himself. They identify themselves with each other. And so this beginning, this runs all throughout the Scripture because then when we get to heaven, what are we doing? What do we do? I will never forget a conversation I had with a person who was very concerned about 
whether he's going to have anything to do for all of eternity in, <laughs> in heaven. And, uh, you know, it struck me. It's like, wow, no one's ever, I've never heard anybody concerned about that before. Well, what are we going to do? What? Oh, whatever God tells us. You don't have to whisper. <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever God tells us. Sure. Okay. Um, but, you know, what, what is the ultimate of it is that you're in his presence. I mean, that's how it's always depicted. As I was going to put it in my notes and go there. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, that passage about the rapture, it's like it says, we will all rise to be with him all raised up to be with him, and it says, and thus we shall be with the Lord forever. Thus meaning what? We're with him. And that's what it truly is. So there's kind of, and I would say pretty confidently, there's a hint here about what truly the goal is of life. Isn't it? Like, it's not exactly what you do, it's that what you do is in the presence of the Lord. I mean, all of us have different things to do. We have a lot to do. But the particulars of what we do here on earth, it's not really what's going to last for eternity. It's the, the, it's the good that we do. And the only reason we did good is because we're in the presence of the Lord. Meaning now, our fellowship with him, our walk with him. So the end goal for man is to enjoy God's presence in God's righteous world. And that would be what I would say, call my heavenly Sabbath. And it's not just Saturday. Um, and when I say righteous world, I, you know, I'm looking around in our world and it's full of restless people. It's full of people who are like these Pharisees. We're saying, you know, I don't care if they're hungry. We have rules. And you've got to follow those rules. I don't care if they're hungry. Really? I mean, is it truly a violation of the Mosaic Law for them to pick that grain? No, it's not. I mean, if the Mosaic Law said it like that, then fine. But the Mosaic Law just says there'd be no work to be done on, on the Sabbath. Some particulars about not carrying wood and not kindling a fire, not transacting business. Those, there's some particulars there, but none of it applies to what those guys were doing. I don't care if you're hungry. And, I, you know, to me, like, think about bread, right? And bread is such a main theme in the Scripture and from beginning to end, and even... You know, back with uh, when Abraham's with Melchizedek and he gives him bread and wine, right? Bread shows up early and, uh, and it lasts throughout. And Christ says, I'm the bread from heaven. You eat of this, you don't hunger again. Hunger in the scripture has this meaning to it that is more than, you know, I need some lunch, and we would, we would, you know, as God has inspired the Bible, this is there on purpose. This hunger that the disciples have, that the Pharisees don't care about, really could be projected to the hunger that a human being has for 
What does everybody hunger for? That. Everybody in the human race hungers for it. And you and I have it. And those of us who possess it, we long to, we should, to give it, to communicate it, to give it to others. And in some cases, in some instances, giving it to others is as easy as just speaking the gospel. Right? That makes me think of, uh, you know, Leonard, you shared that with, uh, who was that, with... Um, um, Ken, thank you. His brain's getting old and tired. Um, yeah, right? Communicated. I mean, how wonderful to have those experiences in your life where you shared the gospel with someone and they were like, wow, and they believed it. Like, wow. <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of those. For the most part, people don't care. But in some cases, the expression of the gospel is not that easy, is it? In some cases, the expression of the gospel is me sacrificing and giving time or whatever. And, and comfort and not judging and, and treating with kindness and love and compassion. And, and that's showing the gospel Knowing full well that they're probably going to spit in my face. Because there's no guarantees in that. There wasn't a guarantee for Christ either. Because love takes enormous risks without guarantee of reward. So, when we love others, it's this that we want to give them. And I, I find that quite marvelous because it, it, it kind of it, it simplifies things because there are plenty of people in the world who think they're helping people, but they're not. You know, we have government programs, and I, I used yesterday the example of homelessness, which is a terrible problem in our state and in, in other places here on the West Coast. And... Uh, you know that people are given the ability to do drugs and and to destroy themselves and it's all shrouded in some kind of compassion are we in in many cases we're not helping people to get here we're not we're not opening doors for them to get to God's rest to God's sabbath to God's love to the gospel and coming up soon in our passage in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, if anyone is not willing to work, then he will not eat either. Well, where's the compassion there? That is entirely compassionate. Because apparently in Thessalonica there was a problem with people who were able to work, who weren't doing any, and they were siphoning or mooching off the church. And Paul said it plainly. He said, we even taught you this before. If anyone is not willing to work, he is not to eat either. So we have. So what is Paul interested in? Getting people there. Getting people to 
this place with God, which comes through faith in Christ. Now, when David eats the consecrated bread, it, it's not Jesus here saying, well, isn't it so cool to be a rebel, you know? When I, whenever I first heard about this, it just made me feel like, you know, uh, David was some kind of rebel. You know, he's like saunters in there like John Wayne or something and says, give me that bread, you know, I'm hungry. And it, it's not at all. Why was David hungry? And we don't have time in one class to go back and read the narrative. But why is David there in the first place? This this place called Nob, where the, the tabernacle is and the high priest is, he's on the run from Saul. King Saul, who, and our subject is love, who loved David before, grew incredibly jealous of David and then sought to kill him. And David had no other recourse but to run. And being on the run, he has no supplies. And so him and the few men that are with him are starving. And um, Abiathar, the high priest, gives him the bread. <clears throat> so, love gives. Right? Uh, love gives. So now Jesus says why the Sabbath was made. Look at verse 27 again. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. What a, what a line. The next line is even more powerful, but the Sabbath was made for man. All right, now if we keep in mind that the Sabbath is in the presence of God, in his garden, so to speak, in his righteousness, in the presence of God, then this is made for man. All right, in other words, it's a gift. And I liken that to a door. Come on, door. There you are. The Sabbath was made for man. And this door, which I, I borrow from Hebrews chapter 10, is the new and living way. The door has been opened to the new and living way so that we could walk it. And when we left the garden, the door is closed. Right? So we had the Sabbath. We had the rest. We rested with God in the seventh day and every day afterwards until we ate of the fruit and we left. Well, we were kicked out, but we made the choice to extract ourselves from God's presence. And therefore, the and, and of course, the entrance to the garden was closed. But notice that this door is for you. This door and Jesus said, you know, I'm, and this is another theme that's so throughout the scripture is this open door. And Jesus said in John 10, I'm the door. The thief only comes to steal and kill. But I come to give you life. And that abundantly. I call the sheep and the sheep hear my voice. Right? This beautiful, tender, and he's a shepherd. Okay, so, and amazingly, this all ties together with David back in Nob needing bread. Because when we read that narrative, there's a shepherd in that narrative. 
in 1 Samuel 21. Jesus is the shepherd who is the door. There's another guy who's a shepherd who is a terribly evil man. Perhaps we'll get to him. Anyway, now so the Sabbath was made for man. This is a gift. We are not to man the door. Not man for the door. In other words, we don't have to keep this door open. We don't have to protect this place. We don't have to serve this door. The door's for us. And this truly, this is what gets us free and what gets us in love is the fact that God has to do absolutely everything. Everything. If there's any part to this that is of our part, then fear is going to come in. And this is this what the, all these extra rules that were put on the Sabbath by the Pharisees. Um, I'm sure that the Jews and all those in Israel still enjoyed the Sabbath because it's a day you don't have to work. I'm sure it's an enjoyable day. But then you put on all these extra rules and there's always this inkling of fear that I might walk too far or I might do something that violates these all these extra rules. There's, a, there's an element of fear in that. Like I can wreck this. Whereas under the true Sabbath in Israel, all you have to do is not go to work. Don't carry wood in and don't go to work. And you're good. Uh, what if I pick that thing up? Not even in the purview of the rules. The rules are don't work and rest in this covenant promise of God that I have a future and a hope for you and you're in my hand. You can't be lost. So just enjoy me. No need to toil. Not today. And then the Lord says something astounding. Because it really gets to the crux of this. He says, verse 28, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. <clears throat> now I put the Greek on the board for you just because I, I know you can follow this and because that this first word is the word therefore or so. So we can kind of get rid of that. We don't need that right now. But the first word in this sentence after the therefore is this word kurios. And kurios is the word Lord. Then you've got the verb, this is is, is, and then you have hoyas to anthropu, which is son of man. Anthropu is where we get anthropology and stuff like that. So, Lord is the son of man. Now, why is that significant? It's because Lord is the object, son of man is the subject. So that's why in English, we have it reversed. In English, it's proper to say the Son of Man is the Lord. But what we really have in Greek is the Lord is the Son of Man. And for with Greek grammar, we know that Son of Man is the subject. And so anyway, uh, to Lord is first. And by doing that, 
Mark, and John does this in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He puts God first in the sentence. What, what he's doing here is putting Lord first. And by putting Lord first, he's emphasizing it. And by emphasizing Lord, having it being written first, he's emphasizing the deity of Christ. But what is the deity of Christ even doing? He's speaking from a human body. So the, the emphasis here, notice what he says, so the Son of Man is Lord. Now this title, Son of Man, comes from David, uh, Daniel chapter 7 and is a messianic title that all these Jews know. And the fact that Jesus is using this title is scandalous. He's using it for himself. I'm the Son of Man. But then he says the Son of Man, but he doesn't say the Son of Man is Lord. He says, Lord is the Son of Man. He's saying, I'm God. Right? If the deity of Christ isn't clear in the Gospels, then it's not anywhere if it's not here. Lord is the Son of Man. Not only am I the Messiah, the Son of Man of Daniel, whose throne will last forever, I am God incarnate. And as God incarnate, here's Kai. See that Kai right there? That's and or also or even of Sabbatu of the Sabbath. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And why am I Lord of the Sabbath? Because I'm God Almighty. Because I'm the Son of Man. And I made the Sabbath. I made it. We say you gave it to the Jews. That's true. I'm the one who was on the mountain giving it to the Jews. But I'm also the one who created this. Yes, I'm in a human body incarnate and I made the world. I made the Garden of Eden. I created Sabbath. And you all have messed it up. I almost said screwed it up, but you can't say that. You all have messed it up and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make it again. But I'm going to make it even better. Miles better. It is absolutely incredible that the Lord is, is <laughs> made, the Lord Jesus made the Sabbath and he as its Lord gave it to mankind to enjoy. And to give it to mankind to enjoy, he has to die. The Sabbath is the presence of the Lord in his righteousness. We're not in the garden, obviously. We're surrounded by crazy people and terrible laws and bad rules and angry and anxious and uptight and restless people. And we're to love every one of them with God's love. But the environment that each of us live in is the plan of God for our lives. We can obey the will of God. And we can go through life in the sphere of His righteous will and follow what He does, what He will have us do. And in that, live Sabbath, heaven, in the presence of the Lord no matter what, no matter what I do. 
no matter what he has me do. And then all of life becomes this marvelous Sabbath. And then you're going to, the reason why you're able, because now you see the love of God. It's the love of God who gave you this. He gave it to you. You didn't earn one iota of it. That's why it's so important. Because it, you're not going to rest in love if you think that there is, and I know you guys don't, but you're not going to rest in love if you think there's any little thing that you have to do to maintain this or to gain it. In other words, if you were made for the Sabbath instead of the Sabbath being made for you, if you are made for the Sabbath, you've got to care for it. In other words, you can ruin it. But we can't ruin it. So are you enjoying the life that God gave you? Do you see and feel his love? Do you know his comfort? Are you a person of hope? I guess are you a glass half full kind of person? And do you desire all others to enjoy the Sabbath? In other words, you're, and you're, you're very actively concerned about others. Now, Mark's section is not over. Chapter 3, verse 1. He entered into the synagogue and there was a man there whose hand was withered. And they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. So here we have another Sabbath. It's not the same day. But Mark puts these two together and for a very real purpose. In the first instance, we have hungry disciples. They don't care about them. And in the second instance, we have a man who has a withered hand, which means he probably can't work. I would say he can't work. And therefore, he's poor. And this handicap is truly wrecking his life. Do they? So what are they going to care about him? Or are they going to care about him? So... They were watching him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath to save a life or to kill? Now, this question, I mean, I'd say this is probably, it's the most I've ever thought about this question, like, what an odd question, isn't it? I mean, the whole purpose that is, or the whole question that is being raised here is, will he work on the Sabbath? You know, is he going to violate our Sabbath rules, which are, there are tons of them. But Jesus says something else. He, he doesn't say really to the point where, you know, is it lawful to do anything on the Sabbath? But he says, is it lawful to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? Is it lawful to kill someone on the Sabbath? Well, what a strange question. Is it lawful, therefore, to save a life? Is it lawful to do evil? When it says do uh, harm, it, the, the word is do evil, the Greek word. <clears throat> and they said nothing. They kept silent. After looking around to them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to them, stretch out. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored. 
The Pharisees went out out and immediately, and that word immediately becomes actually a little important here, immediately began conspiring with the Herodians. These are more political allies, these Herodians. They conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Now, what did Christ ask again? Is it lawful to do good? Like, well, according to the Pharisees, no. Right? It's it's not. It's a work to them. But is it lawful to do evil? Well, that's a dumb question. You're not it doesn't matter what day of the week it is, right? You, you don't do evil. Is it lawful to save a life? According to the Pharisees, on the Saturday, no. Is it lawful to kill? What well, doesn't make any sense? Is it lawful to kill on Saturday? Is it lawful to kill at any time? And they're dumbfounded. You know, often in the scripture, you don't, it just, you know, Jesus will ask the question, then he goes right to the response. But here, Mark is pointing out particularly that they kept silent. In other words, what? <laughs> they got nothing to say. They're confused or dumbfounded. In Matthew's account of this same instance, Jesus points out that the priests work on Saturday. The priests are in the temple on the Sabbath. There are actually extra sacrifices on the Sabbath. So the priests are actually killing, aren't they? The priests are killing animals. They're working. Is that what he means? Then we would say no. I mean, it's a long shot if that's what he means. Because of what's in verse 6. Well, they don't respond. He gets angry at them, heals the man's hand. And then what do the Pharisees do? Immediately, which is on the Sabbath, they plot to kill him. The Pharisees worked on the Sabbath. They worked to kill the Lord. This is the crux of the question. Is it lawful to kill They don't even answer, and then they run out and plot how they might kill him. It's amazing. Their idea of Sabbath is a bunch of rules to be kept that would please them. In other words, in their own Sabbath, with all their extra rules, they are the Lord's. Jesus said, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. These Pharisees could say they're Lord of their own Sabbath. They run around looking to see what people are doing, and if they get caught doing something on the Sabbath, they're going to quickly point it out and condemn you. And now don't forget what Sabbath means to us here. This is the presence of God in which we rest in his love. And mankind, in so many ways, have tried to mess this up. And for us, as believers, we have got to keep it right where it is. And that is right in the hands of the Lord in which we put our lives in his hands, our lives in his will, and all because he loves us. He loved us and gave us himself. 
He so loved us that He gave us Himself. And now we've got to give Him to others. Our little rules that we can come up with where we say, you don't deserve my time. You don't deserve my words. We're We're not Pharisees, but at times we really can be just like them. We judge others, and we're like, you don't, you don't deserve my time. You don't deserve my work. You don't deserve my energy. It's going to be wasted on you, and I limit myself. And this is not God's love. God's love gives recklessly. It risks, I can't say the word, risks. It it does if i can see that this whatever i'm doing is going to help that person get to this sabbath rest then i'm going to if it hurts me if it costs me i'm going to do it All right and you know of course we're not going to have anybody come up and give a testimony as to how they're doing in concerning this love that's not the point we've all got to improve on it we've all got to grow in it How amazing that they make a case for the fact, is he going to heal somebody on the Sabbath? And then they plot to kill him on the same day. Is it lawful to do evil and kill somebody on the Sabbath? And they're like, what? And then they run off and do something evil and plot to kill him. So if you fail to possess the fabric of the Sabbath, you will violate it in the worst way. What I mean by fabric is that within your heart you have God's love. Not a human facsimile of it, not a watered-down version of it, but God's love as it is. The quality of God's love is that he gave his son. 1 John chapter 4, the multiple passages. I'll read it here quick. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. So that we could be alive. And that life is eternal life, and that's the life of the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is enjoying God's presence in his righteous world. Do you or I keep a false love in your heart and convince yourself that it's God's love? We've got to be honest. Confess to God when we are not loving with his love. And we have to be honest with ourselves and with him. As we started, as C.S. Lewis said, don't wait till you feel like it. Do it. Do what it takes, what it calls for. Because the more that you see, and, and it's exemplified in the, in the cross of Christ. Now, just right, just a few minutes before we're, we're done here. Um, in 1 Samuel 21, David's on the run from Saul. He ends up in Nob. They're hungry. He asked the priest for the consecrated bread, the bread that's on the show, the bread, the table of showbread. 
And the priest gives it to them and they eat. According to the law, that bread is for the priests. It's not for anybody else. That's in Leviticus. So, but they eat it. But the, So we have Jesus here speaking about, is it lawful to save or is it lawful to kill? And then we, if we run back to that narrative, and for the sake of time I didn't go back, that we find that David runs from Nob and he ends up going to the uh, Philistia, to the Philistines. And Saul finds out that David was there and Saul follows. And Saul gets there, gets to Nob. And he's like, where's David? He's ready to get him, you know. And the priest tells Saul that, well, David was here, but now he's gone. And then David, uh, sorry, Saul finds out that that priest, Abiathar, as Abimelech is his father, I think, the one who gave him the bread. But anyway, that, that the priest gave David bread. And so Saul says, kill the priest. Now, This whole thing is all tied together. Saul, who years before had loved David, grows jealous of David, wants to kill David. And then the priest who gives David bread, he wants him murdered because he helped David out. Now the priest, and Saul knows this, the priest knew nothing about what was going on with David and Saul. He knew nothing of it. He did a kind thing. He didn't know anything about what was going on, that Saul was after David, didn't know anything about it. And Saul says, kill him. And then and Saul wants all the priests killed. Not just, that, not just Abiathar. Abiathar escapes, but he wants all the priests dead. His servants won't do it. Saul's servants, it's too evil. It's too much. He won't do it. And then Saul says, is there anybody who will do this? And the guy speaks up who is a shepherd. He's Saul's head shepherd. Meaning he was in charge of all of Saul's sheep. And so, this guy's name is Doeg. He says, I'll do it. And Doeg kills 85 priests. Murders them. And uh, David wrote a song about this guy. So as we close, go to Psalm 52. Psalm 52. Now, I want you to notice in this song how love is mentioned, which is our topic. For the choir director, this is how we know it's about him. It's right here in the title. Psalm 52. For the choir director, a masculine of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. And this, this is when David ate the bread. Doeg again killed, murdered 85 priests and he was ordered to do so by King Saul. Now, relate this to the love of God that we're to have and what we just saw in the gospel about Pharisees and such. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, a worker of deceit. 
You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right, Salah. Notice verse 3, you love evil more than good. So love is a, it's a manifestation of the love of God that is in fallen man and it's polluted by self-love. Verse 4, you love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living, Salah. God will judge. The righteous shall, sorry, the righteous will see and fear and will laugh at him, saying, Behold the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. And that loving kindness is another way to define that Hebrew word is steadfast love. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will give you thanks forever because you have done it. And I will wait on your name for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. So as we look at love in terms of the Sabbath, in terms of being in God's presence, we see David here showing the contrast between himself, who is this green olive tree, meaning he's alive, in the temple, in the presence of God, in the presence of God's people. And then we have this other guy who loves evil more than he loves good. Loves self more than he loves others and loves God. And that man put 85 people to, to death. Priests of God. He killed them in cold blood. So Jesus said, you know, all right, we're talking about the Sabbath here. Is it lawful to save someone on the Sabbath or to kill? And this gets to the crux of what God's love is. He is. God's love saves, and in us, it's to save, save others, deliver others. And if we're not about delivering others, then what are we? We're essentially going to be somewhat self-centered, if not a lot self-centered. And that, put in the right position, anybody who doesn't have the love of God is always going to choose self over others. And in a way, um, you know, that's a, that's a killing So the contrast between love and saving, saving and killing, and love and loving the wrong thing. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, and thank you for the guidance of these so many passages that tie together the principle of love that you have exhibited to us. May we not hold on to our traditions or other things that are flexible in deference to others. May we show your love to others, Father, with the hope that we do them good, to do them good to lead them to your rest, to your love, to your Sabbath. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.